we as human beings have come up with a lot of different ways to try to let people know we're speaking the truth. Uh, From a pinky swear to a handshake to putting your hand on a Bible and taking an oath and then for the ever-present in our life contract. This is a far cry from what Jesus called for his children. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, and keep in mind the Sermon on the Mount is for citizens of the kingdom of God. Other people are listening who have not yet come into that, but he is addressing this to his disciples who have committed themselves. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I was determined not to look when I read that verse. Uh, But laughter came anyway. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So why do we insist on coming up with all of these ways? I I remember one from childhood. I don't know who came up with this one. But you guys remember Cross My Heart? And hope that that is just about as wicked and vicious a promise as you can make. Stick a needle in my eye? That, that's, that's sick. Why do we do this? For a simple reason. We know the human tendency to be untruthful, don't we? We know the tendency of unfaithfulness in human beings. But when it comes to our God, we can stand on His promise alone. In Numbers 23, one of my favorite stories in the book of Numbers is that of Balaam. Uh, who was asked by Balak to come and curse Israel. And yeah, he says, and God says, you better not do it. And over and over again, he's saying, but God, can I? Can I? Go ahead. And we know God stops it all. But when Balak is afraid of what God has said he will do, Balaam said to God, or to, ba- to Balak about God, God is not human that he should lie. God is not a man that he should lie. Now, it's great for God because God doesn't lie, but what does it say about us? Well, you get it, don't you? In today's text, we see that God indeed keeps his word. Will you stand as we look at the example of God's faithfulness and this promise fulfilled, a promise fulfilled in these two people's lives, a promise that was physically impossible that God makes come true. Genesis 21, 1-7. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. 
When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In this passage of scripture, God fulfilled the promise of a son and it brought obedient joy to Abraham and Sarah. Now, None of us have been promised a child at a hundred. So what does this have to deal with us? My family thought, and I've talked to you about before, my family thought it was rather miraculous when my brother was born, when mom was 42. What does this have to do with us? I believe the promises of God are the vehicles God uses to bring change into our lives. To bring us from where we are to where we should be. Now I believe when we come to Christ and we open our hearts to Him, uh, confessing Him as Lord, He takes us exactly as we are. He forgives our sins. But God doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to move us into what we can be. And it is through the promises of God that He accomplishes this. Now how does He do that? Well today we're going to look at several ways that are revealed in their encounter with God. And I hope that you will hear both ears and your heart. So we begin. The promises of God remind us of God's faithfulness. When we start looking at what God has promised and how he's dealt with it, we are reminded great is his faithfulness. Truly and honestly. My favorite hymn, and I, I anticipated we would get to sing it, uh, long before the song list was given me, because uh, Charmel has probably heard me say it's my favorite song. It's a wonderful song that speaks of, the, of God's faithfulness. And in the text, a wonderful expression of God's faithfulness in the announcement uh, uh, of the fulfillment of God's promise. It really is cool the way God says this. Now, NIV translates, and God was gracious to Sarah. Okay, Matthews has pointed out that phrase, was gracious, is quite literally visited. God visited, the Lord visited Sarah, and it resulted in her miraculous pregnancy, and a year later she gives birth to the son Isaac, to Abraham in his old age. Now the term was visited or was gracious, is used in the Old Testament several different times as a a metaphor that conveys the fact that God has intervened on behalf of human beings to fulfill His purpose. For His purpose. It's also the same kind of phrase that is used in 1 Samuel 2.21 when we're told that God visited Hannah and she had a a son that was the result of Eli's blessing upon her. Now, But here's where it really gets neat. Because there's something important. Uh, Whenever you see ideas repeated within the text, it's called parallelism. It shows up most often in the 
poetic sections of the, the Old Testament. But I want you to listen to this. Because to make absolutely certain that the reader understands this was an amazing miracle, verse 1 contains two half lines that emphasize God's faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah. Particularly in these verses to Sarah. Verse 1, the very first part said, The Lord was gracious to Sarah as He said. 1B says, And the Lord did to Sarah what He had promised. Did you catch the parallel? It's saying the same thing twice in a slightly different way to help us understand God was doing this. God Himself was doing this. And the pregnancy wasn't... It's not only the fact that there is a miracle that she becomes pregnant and 99 and gives birth at 100... Excuse me, 89 and gives birth at 90. We're also told it happened at the very time God promised. I would ask for a show of hands. Now, it would not include women who've had C-sections. Okay? But I would ask for a show of hands of every woman here who's ever given birth to a child that the child arrived at the exact moment you were told he or she would be alive. Well, we got one. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, we got two. Uh, Rachel was three weeks late with Jessica. I won't tell you the condition of my mind at that moment. It happens not just to a normal woman, a woman who's 89 who gives birth at 90 just when God said, in a year, you're going to have a child. Our, pray, our passage then emphasizes the dual nature of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, Sarah, you're going to have a child. And you'll have it when I tell you you're going to have it. An amazing statement. God did what He said. God did what He promised. God was faithful. And our faith is strengthened every time we experience a fulfillment of God's promises. A promise of God every time. This is the way faith is strengthened. We hear what God says and we believe Him and we trust Him. And then we find Him to be true. He has kept His word. He's brought it to us. Think of some of the promises. First of all, He promised us forgiveness. And He brought that to us through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, He promised us to be part of the family of God. And now our elder brother has paid the price to bring us into the family where we can call God Father. He has promised us eternal life and has given His stamp that yes, this is true because Christ broke the power of death when he walked out of that tomb. Through his son, he has promised us life and that more abundantly. And he brings that to bear in our lives as we start yielding ourselves to the move of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and start shaping our lives into what it can be. He's moving in us. And like Abraham and Sarah, the promises of God are not predicated on our timetable. 
I know probably everybody here in this room at some time or other has prayed diligently to God, God, please move in this, in this moment. And you quite literally meant this moment. Father, answer me now. I, I've, I've shared before in, in different settings, there was a period of time right after Rachel and I got married, every prayer I prayed was answered within a 24-hour period. And some, immediately. That's one of those moments I was soaring on the wings of eagles. It was great. Uh, I, I've told some of you, Rachel, we were at work together and she said she had a headache before she had a chance. My hand was on her head praying for her and the headache was gone. Now I had somebody say, she just said it was because she wanted you to get away. No, it was gone. And it was just wonderful. And I think, God works through my prayers in the next week. It felt like they weren't even getting out of my mouth. And God gently reminded Danny who was responsible. We don't always know God's timetable. But like Abraham and Sarah, we can know that God will bring His promises to pass. He's already moved in our lives. Many of you have already experienced the peace that passes understanding. You have experienced the hope that is yours in Christ. And you hold on to those and you remember them because they are telling us God keeps His word. As we learn to wait upon Him, we will learn more and more how faithful He is. And so we should focus our minds on the God who keeps His word. Now, we might not always see how He's going to do it. You have probably also, like me, prayed and said, God, help me here. And you already had in your mind the way God would help you. And then he did something completely different. I had a friend in college who would go to his his mailbox and bring out an envelope, and it had cash in it. And Rachel and I were struggling in, in, in school, and I'd say, God, I can use some help. And you know what God did for me? He'd get me another job. And that's not exactly what I had in mind. You know, God, have somebody send me cash. But God answered the need in my life, not quite the way I thought. Our God is moving in our lives to shape us. Hebrews 11.1 actually says, defines faith as faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We don't always see the way that God works. But we can know that God is working. Romans 8.28 Possibly one of the most misquoted verses in all time does not say everything works out for the best or if one bad thing happens, a good thing has to happen. It says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who, who have been called according to His purpose. God can take anything that happens in our lives to mold us into something more. To mold us into something we should be. Let's face it, the best thing that would happen with you and I never sin and never fail God again, right? But we do stumble. But God can even take the stumbling to bring about His purpose ultimately in our lives. So, when we believe and we have promises in mind what God has already accomplished for us, we can face with hope, expectation, that God is still moving. So I have to remind myself 
over and again, when I am going through a spiritual or emotional or a physical pity party, when I was a child, I was known to go around singing, nobody loves me, leave me alone. It usually had something to do with my sisters or my parents saying no. When I start feeling like my life has gone to pieces, I need to remember God. And I need to ask myself, what would my life be if God were not here? Where would I have wound up if I did not know the Lord? So the promises of God remind us He's faithful. He's told us He loves us, that He will never leave us, never forsake us. And we hold on to that. Even if we're going through what has been called the dark night of the soul, when it seems that God is far away. I love it. I don't know who first said it, but I, I heard once, if it feels like God is not with you, guess who moved? And I'll let you fill in the blanks. God's promises remind us that He is faithful and we can trust Him. And then, the promises of God lead us to a more faithful commitment to our Lord. There's one thing you should have learned by, about Abraham by now. If you've been with us through much of this series at all, Abraham would get a, a call from God, a promise from God, and Abraham would obey it a little bit. He would take a step toward faith. But there were quite a few times, weren't there, that Abraham hedged his bet. Abraham came up with his own solution. But it's important that you see here, when God, when Isaac is born, something amazing happens. Abraham's obedient faithfulness was demonstrated in his reaction to Isaac's birth. And that reaction is found in verses 3 and 4. And there is no hesitancy. There is no, wait a minute, immediate, the child is here. And we are told in verse 3, he names his son Isaac just like God told him to. Chapter 17, verse 19. And it would remind Abraham for the rest of his life. You laughed when you heard the news. And again, I think for Abraham, it was primarily a laugh that said, this is amazing, this is wonderful, this is... But every time he heard it, he remembered God's promise. And we're told, by the way, if there's another kind of parenthetical statement here. Uh, the son Sarah bore him, which reemphasizes the fact Sarah was as crucial to the promise of God as Abraham was. This was a promise fulfilled in them both. And the name Laughter, he laughed. What a great name. If, if I had had a son, uh, that's a real possibility that I would have. Because it, when, when parents conceive and they want so desperately this child in their life, when that child comes, there is joy. There is laughter. Uh, there's also, the first time I held Jessica, there was also terror. You know, like, oh my gosh, I'm the grown-up. You know, I have to get her reared into life, adulthood. But laughter, joy. Folks, this child should not have been there by any rule of imagination. But he laughs. And then he follows through the second thing God told him. In chapter 17, verse 12, 
On the eighth day of birth, you will circumcise the son. It is the sign of the covenant. So Abraham, without any hesitancy, immediately names him Isaac. And when the time comes, he has his son circumcised. He has fully, this man has fully and freely embraced the truth. God's promise is really here. I believe he was filled with gratitude. I believe Abraham's heart is about to burst with joy and amazement. He has waited. Folks, if, if about 75 when he received the first call. A hundred? Folks, a quarter of a century he has waited. And his heart is filled with hope and life and a just extreme gratitude. God has moved in my life. And again, there's a principle here that we see in Abraham and in Sarah as well. Thankful hearts tend to be more committed hearts. Thankful hearts tend to be more committed. Will Abraham do everything absolutely correct from here on out? No, there'll be a a stumble or so. But there's a difference in Abraham now. And you can see it within the Word. Even when it comes to the point, and we'll deal with this, when he has to let go of Ishmael, the son he loves, he's his, his son, Abraham is now ready to follow God. Why? He didn't live to see all of the promises fulfilled, but he lived to see this one. And he's full of thanks. Why is thankfulness such a vital part of the Christian faith? Because it reminds us of all that God has done. The New Yorker is famous for its comic strips, and some of them I will admit go quite over my head, but I remember seeing once many years ago a family seated at Thanksgiving, and the table is crammed with food. And when it comes time, the father asks, and this is the only caption. I think they made their point. All of this food, the family is gathered around. Shall we say grace? Shouldn't have been a question, should it? Thankfulness reminds us. Memories of what God has done in the past can bring us to a greater faith for the present. And 1 Samuel is a a tremendous, wonderfully Powerful story. The Philistines have stolen the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. They defeated Israel in battle, got hold of the Ark, and the people are absolutely beside themselves in fear and terror. Well, God orchestrates it such in such a way that the Philistines say, hey, we don't want this, and give it back to Israel. So Samuel calls the people to go to Mizpah. And he says, we are going to have a time of consecration and dedication before the Lord. We are going to tell him, thank you for the ark, and we are going to pledge ourselves to the service of God. And the people are excited they have the ark again. But suddenly they understand, the Philistines have heard about this meeting, and they have decided, we better strike now. We need to hit them with everything we've got. And once again, God moves. Samuel tells him, do not be afraid. God moves. 
The Philistines are completely routed. And then Samuel does something that sounds a little strange. He takes a rock and he sets it down. Last night we uh, last night last week we actually mentioned this in a song. First Samuel seven twelve. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, "Thus far has the Lord helped us." Here by faith I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by my hope I come. God has moved and helped us. This rock, the word Ebenezer means a stone of help. He says, I'm going to put this up. And in the future, any time we have this struggle, any time you have lack of faith, any time you've lost sight, look back and remember this stone. God has brought us this far. And he's not going to leave us now. That's why all of the monuments were set up. One of the strangest, one of the greatest monuments in my mind. Remember when the children of Israel crossed the river Jordan? A monument is set up in the riverbed. The Jordan's going to flood over it again. They will never see that monument again. But they know it's there. And they remember what God has done. Folks, we need to build some Ebenezers in our lives. I'm not saying literally make a rock. I know human beings, and if we make a rock, we might tend to idolize it too much, so not that. We need to start building memories and going through our mind over and over again everything that God has done for us. Remembering how He brought us to faith. How He brought people into our lives to share the gospel. And we became part of the family of God. Looking back at time, at the times God's word has helped us to move forward. I told, I've told you many times, 40 years ago, God gave me Isaiah 40, 31 as my life verse. Uh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you go into any of my offices, you'll see a lot of eagles. When people have a doubt, let's get them an eagle. I love that verse. But you know, it's not the eagle's wings that have meant the most to me. Yes, I like soaring. I like those moments when life is exciting and you see the hand of God moving in a powerful way. And I know what it is to run. I know what it is to have a life that is so hectic you barely have time to think or breathe, it feels. But that verse has come to mean the most depth to me in those moments. I needed every ounce of strength the Lord could give me to just get out of bed and take a step. And then another one. And another one. Many of you were with me in one of those moments in my life. And I will forever be grateful. When I lost Rachel, high school sweetheart dated three years before we got married and we were married for 32 years. We were supposed to be the old couple that sit in church with our arms around each other holding hands. The hardest thing I've ever faced in my life and God was here with me. 
giving me strength, giving me people who love me. Folks that I hadn't heard from in years tracked me down to tell me they were praying. When God did that, there are times life is so hard it just takes one step at a time. And God has kept me from fainting, at least completely. Looking back at the people who helped us in our journey, one of the other toughest years of my life was when Dad went to Vietnam and my mother, my sisters, and I moved to Ropesville, Texas, population 425, my mom's hometown. And my grandparents, that year we were there for the first time in my life, every Sunday I was in church. I was seven and I turned eight there. Church had been very sporadic in our lives. But that year, every Sunday, and that's the year I met the Lord. Many years later, Brother David Blaze, my pastor when I surrendered to ministry, who gave me the model for what a pastor I believe should be. He's one of the main reasons I've never tried to tell you I have arrived. One of the reasons I don't really like being on a platform. Uh, I am a pilgrim on the journey as well, and Brother David showed me that. First minister I ever knew that said, Danny, I have struggles too. And then that same church, Gwen and Linda Farquhar, a volunteer couple who who are our youth leaders, who helped me grow exponentially in my walk with Christ as a teenage boy. Church members throughout the years who prayed for me, who loved me, who gave me words of encouragement, Start remembering those things. And when it feels like God is on the far side of the universe, remember, He brought me this far. And He brought this person into my life and that person into my life and He brought this to me. And so, as these thankful hearts tend to be more committed hearts, We should walk in the grateful obedience that comes from remembering God's fulfilled promises. Whenever we see the hand of God move, whenever you see a prayer answered, write it down. Put it somewhere where you can treasure it and know and see. God brought me this far. God has brought me here. And as we express thankfulness, It will cause us to say, Lord, help me to trust you even more. May we learn to trust him enough to follow him by remembering what he has done and remembering what he is promising to do. and Remembering that the scripture says all the promises of God in Jesus are yes promises of God not only remind us of his faithfulness they bring us to a place of deeper commitment and then finally the promises of God release joy into our lives I'm going to I'm give you a secret in many ways verses 6 and 7 are my favorite verses in this whole passage and they're all wrapped up with Sarah 
I love it. Sarah used a wonderful play on words to express her profound joy with Isaac's birth. Verses 3 and 4, we find out in verse 3, we find out that Abraham names Isaac, Isaac. Now, normally in Genesis, such as in Genesis 5.29, when Lamech has a son born, he names him Noah and says, because this child has brought comfort to my heart, Noah means comfort. Normally, the person who named the child said why they named the child that. But here, the father names the child, and it's not till after the child is named and after the child is, is circumcised that we actually find out why he is named Isaac. And Sarah gets to give the explanation. Listen to her words again. It's great. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah's doubting laughter is transformed. And there is really a cool play on words here. Because she's attributing to God this son. God has brought me laughter. His name literally means he laughed. But she's saying, God has brought me laughter. And this isn't a laughter of, oh, I'm 90 years old. No, he's given me a son. And she says, it's such a great story. Everybody who hears it will laugh. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure all of the women who've given birth in here will laugh because it wasn't them. It's a wonderful, joyful expression. He's given me laughter. And no one could have believed it. No one except God came up to Abraham. And guess what? Sarah's going to be a mama one day. No, it was, it was amazing. When people hear the story, and I believe she can't control the laughter, She is filled with joy. I told you, my brother, and most of you know this, my brother was born. I was 12 days from my 18th birthday when Randy was born, and I was a baby. My mom and dad laughed, except for moments of, you know, all that kind of stuff where difficulties. But they'd laugh for nine months. They were like kids. And it was a little bit disturbing, but it was amazing to watch. Sarah is filled with joy. She wants everybody to know. Folks, the principle here, to know that God keeps His word makes joy's possibility more than a wish. The joy that we can have as Christians, this isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't cross your fingers, close your eyes real hard and try to be happy. Now, let's be real, life is full of horrific and happiness-killing news. And Christians are not exempt from the pains that face the world. Just look at the, the men of the Scripture. Peter, who would become a rock. Peter ultimately died a martyr's death. 
It was foreshadowed in the book of John by Jesus when he said, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And John commented, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. John himself was in exile on the Isle of Patmos when he received the revelation of God. And as amazing as that book was, folks, he's about 90 years old, exiled away from all he loves, alone on an island when Christ appears. Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he prayed three times, God remove it. And God said, my grace is sufficient. And Paul learned to say, I will glory in my weakness because when I am weak, he will be made strong. And Paul himself died a martyr's death. Voice of the Martyrs has documented that the 20th century saw more martyrdoms of Christians around this world than all other centuries. And then, step away even from the idea of Christian suffering, we have the moments of hatred, violence, disease, storms that seem to be a part of everyday life in this world. And yet I still believe joy is possible for the child of God. Because joy goes beyond happiness. Happiness is even linked to the word happenstance, which means chance. When the right things happen, we're happy. But even in the midst of struggle, joy, which is not dependent on circumstance, can flood into our lives. Joy that can come with peace, come with hope. As Jesus is preparing His disciples For his coming death in chapter 16 of John, he says, I've said these things to you that you, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It was the promise of joy given to the returning exiles. They've come back home from Babylon, and now they're trying to rebuild, and things are not always going the way they should be, and So Ezra says, we're going to read the Word of God, and for hours the Word of God is read. And as the people hear the Word of God, they come under conviction. They realize how far they have fallen from what God wants. And then, in Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah steps up. The people are beside themselves in grief. And Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. A joy that can give us strength to face whatever happens. The joy comes when we remember who God is to us. Who we are to Him. And all that he has promised to us as his children. And it is in the midst of sorrows in this world. Those battles we face, joy can come. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was martyred trying to reach the Alka Indians. Once made this statement, God has never promised to solve our problems. He has not promised to answer our questions. He has promised to go with us. And folks, that's the heart of joy. That whatever happens, God is with us.
And so my friends, we should keep our hearts centered on what God does to bring joy into our lives. And what does he do? He promises us wonderful, beautiful, precious promises. He's given us life in Jesus Christ. Andre Crouch once sang a song, If heaven never was promised to me, neither God's promised to live eternally. It's been worth just having the Lord in my life, living in a world of darkness. He brought me the light. He's given us purpose. You and I have a reason for more than just existing. We're here, the family of God, to touch this world for Christ. That's a greater purpose than anything we could hope to come up with our own. He has given us promises. Another passage I encourage you to read over and over this week. 2 Peter 1, 2-4 through 4. Listen to God's Word. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God just said in that, and remember, God keeps His word. I've given every you everything you need to live in this world and to live the life I want you to live. And to make sure you know that, here are my promises that will carry you through. Charles Spurgeon says, God promises to keep His people and He will keep His promise. So today, understand a promise has been fulfilled in Abraham and Sarah's life, yes, but in our lives as well. Because in Jesus Christ, we have been given everything we need to live the life we're called to live. And so when I remember the promises of God, I remember that He's faithful. When I remember the promises of God, it calls me to a deeper commitment. When I remember the promises of God, it brings joy into my life. When joy doesn't necessarily make sense. That is what God offers us. That is what is ours. Now, what will we do about it? Some of you go through struggles in life that sometimes seem absolutely overwhelming. You know what I'm talking about when you talk, when I talk about it feels like God's way off in the distance. And you know what I mean when I say sometimes it's hard to just get up in the morning and take one step. And it's at that point I encourage you, go back to the Word. Go back to the promises you have already found to be true in your life. And begin thanking Him. Begin 
praising him. Begin asking him, God, give me the strength to believe again. To take that one step and another. You see, one day we will all be soaring on eagle's wings. We will be standing before our God and Creator. We will be with our elder brother, the Holy Spirit, moving every child of God through every age will be gathered. And there will be no more tears of sorrow ever again until that day. We have a promise that in Christ all that we need is here. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads before God Almighty right now. And again, I will give you the opportunity if there is a need for you to come forward for prayer, that's you are more than welcome to come to the front. And I will certainly pray with you. But folks, we're all pretty much in the same boat here at different times of our lives. Sometimes it seems faith comes easy, sometimes not so much. Right now, you may be in need of that joy, which can be your strength. And I'm asking you to just surrender yourself to God. To say, Lord, here I'm having a really hard time even remembering the promises that I already know to be true. God, give me strength to remember. And God, restore to me the joy that is your salvation. Help me to commit myself more fully. And if there's anything in your life that's standing between you and what God wants you to be, now is the time to say, God, here it is. Take it. Purge it from my life. Give me the courage to let it go and to face you. And just remember, wherever you may be, wherever your walk finds you, God is faithful. And he's not letting go. Almighty God, we need your hand to move. We have seen it move in the past in our lives. We have known the joy that is strength, the peace that passes understanding. But Father, we are too easily thwarted it seems from trust when things go bad it's so easy to not see anything beyond the circumstance and so I lift us up as a whole today myself included Father remind us of who you are every moment Father through this week I pray that In the moment of struggle, in the moment of trial, you will simply whisper to us through your spirit, your mind, and I will not leave you. Speak to us and remind us that 
We are your children. And in Christ we are more than conquerors. And Father, I pray that the joy that comes into our lives will be contagious. Just as Sarah said, whoever hears the story will laugh with me, Father. May our joy be so strong and centered in our lives that others will see and know that joy is possible. Touch us, God. Remind us that you are not like the human race and you will never lie to us. Give us strength and grace to keep taking those steps until the day we will all be soaring in your presence. Through Christ. Amen. Our ushers would come forward to receive this morning's offer.